Hello, and welcome to the People Analytics Deconstructed Podcast. This show is for people working in human resources who want to enhance their understanding of how data analytics can be used to maximize business decisions. Each week, we will focus on a topic related to the area of people analytics. We will break down each topic to better understand what it actually is, how it relates to using data with respect to making decisions about people, why it's important, and what you really need to know. Because each person comes to each topic with different experiences and backgrounds, we'll also suggest specific, actionable steps to help you most effectively get the most out of our discussion. I'm Jennifer Miller, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ron Landis. We're the founders of Milan Chicago, a consulting company that provides organizations with support to maximize their use of people analytics data. Today, on this episode, we're going to deconstruct data culture. So we're going to talk about what is it, why is it important, how to measure data culture, and what you can do for your organization with respect to creating a robust data culture. So before we begin, I want to kick it over to Ron to get a sense of what is data culture. Maybe before we get into data culture, it might be worth a moment or two to just talk about culture. Not culture in the social sense, but let's just keep it in the context of organizations. You know, the way I would sort of think about it is, you know, how many grocery stores are there around you that you could shop at? And for, I think for most people, it's at least more than one, right? There's usually a couple you can choose from. And if we just pick on some of the sort of larger national kinds of brands, we have Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and Kroger and right any number of, of other ones. If you've walked into a grocery store, it has a feel, right? And, and grocery stores all sort of have the same feel. There's food, right? But each one of those that I mentioned, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, and Kroger, just to pick a couple, definitely have a unique feel when you walk into each one. You know when you're in a Trader Joe's as opposed to a Kroger. They just feel different. Well, it's that feeling that's very similar to what we would think of as an organization's culture, right? Now, part of that cultural difference is the physical layout, the signage, things that we can see, touch, experience in a very direct way. But there's also an element of that culture which is more subtle. I wouldn't say hidden, but it's under the surface. It feels different to be in one of those stores than another. It feels different working in some organizations than it does in others. Some organizations maybe have a culture that is very traditional. You know, expectations are that you come to work at nine and you leave at five, and it's a very traditional kind of way of doing work. Whereas others, it's a little more open and freeform. You can come, come and go almost as you please, right? As long as you put in the number of hours or get the work done, those speak to cultural differences, right? Their norms, their behaviors, they're the way that people do things in the organization. And so that culture is critical, right? We know that that culture matters. If for no other reason than some people prefer one culture over another, some people prefer Trader Joe's to Whole Foods, right? Now, maybe that's due to food quality. Maybe it's due to service. Maybe it's due to this sort of implicit vibe that you get when you go in. But culture matters. So I think when we're thinking about it now in the context of data, that's sort of the world in which we're operating now. We're just saying, when we think about the culture of an organization, what does it mean with respect to how they use data? Yeah, and I think... I think one of the things that you hit on that's really nice is when you think about culture, there's different components to it. And so going back to the grocery store example, why do you prefer one culture over another? It might be due to a specific component. So whether that's the food or maybe the way you get treated or maybe even something like, you know, the kind of shopping carts that they have. 
And so it, we can really look at that with respect to the components. And when we think about data culture, you know, the way that we tend to think about that is that really does refer to how an organization uses data to make decisions. And so those decisions can range from, you know, very high level strategic planning kinds of decisions all the way down to, you know, decisions in every day, we're just running an analysis and we're trying to make a small incremental decision. And so I think, you know, when we're thinking about data culture and referring back to the culture from the grocery store example, now we're just adding the use of data. And so that can, we can refer to that in terms of the policies or the practices or processes, the way employees of an organization are using that data to drive some sort of outcome. Yeah. And I think you touched on something too that is worth putting on the table here. And again, we'll go back to that example of grocery store. And we're picking on grocery stores because it's really any sort of consumer experience you might have. I know when I go out shopping, I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> you know, I, you know how I am and I don't like to talk to people. I don't want people commenting on what I'm buying. Oh, that looks interesting. Or have you ever, I, I've never tried that. I don't want that. There are some stores that I go into where that's the culture, right? That the expectation is it's not really a family experience, but it's definitely like a neighborhoody. Let me get to know you and let's talk. I don't want that, right? So from a cultural perspective that way, I would prefer not to have that. That doesn't make it right or wrong. That's just the difference, right? And that's mm -hmm. why some stores are successful and for some people and others for I think what's important from our perspective here when we think about data, however, is it's not, it's not just a feel-good kind of thing. It's not just do you like data, yes or no, and if you don't, that's okay. But the importance of data really can't be overstated. That said, it doesn't mean that you blindly use data to drive every decision and take all human judgment out of it. That's certainly not what we're advocating, or I wouldn't advocate for any, any case. But I do think it's a little different in that regard, and that when we now move into data culture, we have to recognize that data just is fundamentally important to modern organizations, both now and will only become more so as we go forward. So we do need to wrap our heads around how we are going to embrace data within our organization, because we can't just turn a blind eye to it and say, well, we're just not going to use it. Yeah, so I think that's a really important distinction in that, you know, culture if we go back to the grocery store example, that's quite different from talking about data culture for an organization, right? And so, you know, I think that really leads us nicely into, well, why is data culture important? Why is this something that an organization should care about? And, you know, one of the things that we tend to think about with a strong data culture is that organizations can become more efficient and can streamline their business processes, improve their overall customer experience, improve their employee experience, it can guide their strategy, and ultimately it's going to drive the return on investment. And so, you know, data culture really touches on almost anything that an organization is doing to make decisions and can really improve those and they can become more efficient and effective in the long run. Yeah, and, and I think it's just like our everyday lives. Whenever we make decisions of some importance, buying a house, buying a car, right? Where do we want to live, right? Whatever, whatever decisions we're making, we don't do that in a vacuum usually. We look for data, right? We look for pieces of information to help us make those decisions. There's always going to be some appraisal of that data, right? Do we have confidence in it? Do we think that it's repeatable? Do we think that it's accurate? And that may cause us to look at some data with greater 
greater importance than others, but there's a fundamental notion that we want information. What we do with that information is a whole other thing, but we want that information. That information is important in, in making our decisions. And I think that's where we are with, with modern organizations. We can't put our heads in the sand and say, no, we, we're going to use data when it comes to production line kinds of decisions. How do we create a more efficient production line, if that's what we're doing? Or how do we identify what the appropriate price point is for something? We're going to use data there. But then when it comes to our HR policies, we're going to put our heads in the sand and say, well, it's all subjective and you know, we're really not going to rely on information. We're just going to rely on the way we've always done things. Right. Well, we've always done it this way. Right. The number of times we've heard that is staggering. And it doesn't mean that it was wrong in the past to do things a certain way, but it also means that we're ignoring information if we say we're not open to that. So I think that's really what we're talking about here is not to let data be the only driver of decisions by any means, but it's to appropriately use data in the decision-making processes across all sectors of the organization, across all departments, units, whatever it might be. Yeah, so that that reminds me of a question that we get a lot of times, and that is, is data always the way forward and is it always going to help you make the right decision? And the answer, of course, is no, right? And so you have data, and even based on the data, you may make a decision that maybe down the road you realize might not have been the best decision. And so it's not always going to lead to the optimal, you know, the best decision long term, but over time it's going to aid in making a data-driven decision as opposed to something, maybe a hunch or maybe something that happened 30, 50 years ago. And so I think it's really important to to put that out as sort of a cautionary asterisk that, you know, we're making data-driven decisions. It's not always going to be the best decision after you see, you know, what happens after making that decision. Yeah, and there's some complexity in there that you actually said a lot that I think is important to unpack a few things. First of all, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and we can always evaluate the decisions of the past based on what we know now and either pat ourselves on the back and say how smart we were or look at it and go, wow, we made a stupid decision because we relied on the data. Well, that's not really, there's nothing wrong with learning. I'm not suggesting that, but... To evaluate a decision in the past based on the current information is not particularly productive unless you're looking at it from the standpoint of, oh, wait, we weighted something a little too much in the past and we've learned from that. And so now we can adjust those weights going forward. That's certainly valuable. But I think it's important to recognize that in the moment, the best decision you make is based on what information you have in front of you. And over time, you hope that that information gets better and your understanding of that information gets better. But I always cringe a little bit when people talk about, well, we used data once before and it didn't work. Okay, but it's a process. It's not a single event. And I think going back to this notion of culture, if you see it as a single event, you're almost never going to be able to develop a culture because you are going to make some, some decisions are not going to be perfect. That's just the nature of what we're talking about here. And so I, I think that's, that's really very important for people to understand is that as you start to go down the road of infusing data into your decisions more frequently, it also means now you're going to have the ability to evaluate decisions that didn't go as well and learn from them. And so I'm going to use the F word here, failure, right? We don't want to fail all the time, but there are some times when decisions are not perfect. We learn from them and the next time out, we can make a much stronger decision. 
if you have that kind of data mindset, you're open to that. You're not closed to that. It's a very freeing kind of way of seeing things. And I think that's really very important to understand is that we're not talking about using data and saying every decision we make from here on out is perfect. If we are, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. And I guarantee you that if that's the way people are looking at it, they're going to say, we tried it, it didn't work and give up. Yeah. So I think that's important. And, you know, we could have other conversations about, well, why is it failing? Right. Are you collecting the right data? You know, are you asking the right question? Are you analyzing it appropriately? Right. So there's a lot of questions that we can ask, but just on the surface level, I think you're right that failure is going to occur. We need to just have that mindset and continue the use of using data to drive decisions. Yeah. And so one of the things that I want to get into is thinking about how we look at data culture. So we had mentioned uh, with the supermarket example that there are a bunch of components related to culture and we can we can look at those different components. Now, the way that we think about data culture as a company, we have we tend to think about it being associated with two broad areas. And so we tend to think about it with respect to human resources and technological resources. So I'm going to kick it over to you to give us a little bit more information about those two broad areas. Yeah, and I think too, let's just let's just put it on the table that you said it. This is the way we sort of see it. And other people might see it differently. And, you know, I think that's part of what we're trying to do here is just say, let's let's not get too hung up on a particular view, but let's think about what it is we're really talking about here, right? And so I think we would be the first to acknowledge that there are other ways to conceive of data culture and sort of present it and talk about it. But fundamentally, we're talking about the same phenomenon. So yeah, back to what you were saying, I think the, the human and the, and the tech piece, right? When we think about within an organization, we have the, the quality of the data. And when I say quality, what I'm really talking about is where do we get our data from? How do we manage it? How do we collect it? How do we store it? All of those sorts of things. And, and that really boils down to sort of a technological component. What hardware do we have? What software do we have? You know, how do we go about actually assessing, if we're talking about something like performance appraisal data, how do we do that? How do we collect it? How do we store it? How do we save it? engagement data, the same sort of thing, employee records, what systems do we use, right? So there's that technological side of it, or what we would call the tech side of it, which is more the underlying infrastructure and system around the data itself. But then there's this other piece, which is how people interface with that, right? Because that's what we're talking about here, using data to make decisions and not letting the machines be our robot overlords and take over and make decisions for us, right? So The human side of it is just the recognition that with any organization, right, we have human capital and people are the ones that are actually collecting the data, managing it, storing it, right? They're interfacing with those technological systems. And perhaps more importantly, they're the ones interpreting the results of any analyses that are done. They make the decisions about what to look at, how to look at it, and how to make sense of the data. So those two very broad systems within the company within any organization, the technological resources that are available and the human capital that's there have to be considered, right? And so we could think of a company as having very high technology capabilities, but really not having people who can run the appropriate analyses. So we start thinking about that in a very simplistic way. We can sort of slice that into those two broad chunks. Let's think about the technology that we bring to bear 
And let's think about the people that are interfacing with that technology. Yeah. So if we keep that on the table, we have these two areas, the human resources and the tech resources. And we can further divide that so that we now have four areas. And a lot of times we refer to those as, can we do it? So the capabilities and will we do it? So the processes. And so if we think about those two areas and we put those together, then we really have these four broad areas. So we have the technology capabilities, the tech processes, and then we have human resource capabilities and human resource processes. And so we have these four areas that we really think of as the four components for data culture. Yeah, and just to take that step back, so I mean, I think the way to th- the other way to think about it is to say there are there are sort of two broad dimensions, right? That we would say define data culture, and one of the dimensions is this: Are we talking about people? or Are we talking about stuff, technology? Yeah. The other dimension is a sort of capabilities piece, which you said, right? The can do piece of it versus the will do piece of it, right? So in any situation, we can do stuff, um, but that doesn't mean we will. Right. We don't necessarily know that just because somebody has the ability to do something that they'll actually engage in it. Right. So I'm playing Michael Jordan in a game of one on one. I think he probably is a little bit better basketball player than I am even now, even more so now because I can't really move anymore. But I think the reality is that if he's not trying, it's possible that I could somehow beat Michael Jordan. Right. If he sits on the court and just stares at me, I could win. So I think once we start thinking about, as you said, in those terms, we create these four broad quadrants or sectors, dimensions, components, again, whatever we call them sort of doesn't matter, um, where we can now say, if we think about the human side of our organization, do we have the resources to be able to do it? Can we do it? Do we have the human capital? And then on top of that, will people do it? On the tech side, the same thing. Do we have the technology to support a vibrant and robust data culture? And even if we do, will we do that? So Ron, you gave us a really good overview of those four components. And one of the things that we tend to think about with those four components is that that really drives data culture. And that if you're high on all four of those components, then you have a pretty robust data culture in your organization. Whereas if you're low on those, then you have some work to do with respect to the data culture. Now, I think one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about is the measurement piece, right, for each of these components. And so sometimes it's easy to think about these as we either have them or we don't. But the way that we measure it is that it's really more of a continuum, right? You want to probably be high on all four of those components so that you have a really robust data culture. But in reality, you're going to be somewhere between the low end and the high end, anywhere on that continuum, on that range. And so one of the things that I think is important to discuss is with respect to each of these four components, you know, what is it really that an organization is asking itself whether they're high or low on these? And what are some things that they can do if they are low on one of these four components? And so if we just take the first one, human resource capabilities, if you're in an organization, you should be asking yourself, do you have the talent to collect the right data, manage the right data, analyze it, report it, and interpret the results? And so really it's, do you have the talent to conduct the data analytic process? 
And so one of the things, of course, with talent that you have to think about is, are you effectively able to recruit, hire, and train employees to do this data analytic process? And so what would an organization, if they're low on that, if they score low in this component, what are some of your thoughts about what an organization can do to improve their HR capability? I think we're now getting into the the real crux of this, that if we can solve these, these issues, we really set ourselves up for success. So yeah, on the HR capability side, I would say it's the same kinds of things, the same kinds of interventions, programs, processes there that we would use anytime we think about having the talent necessary to conduct our business. So by that, I mean to say one way to ensure that we have the appropriate human capital is to bring those people into the organization to hire them, right? So that speaks to, are we recruiting the right people, right? Do people know that we need a certain set of skills, And are we targeting people where they are so that they know that and they're applying to our jobs? You know, the next step, obviously, is then the selection piece of it. How are we screening people to get them in? Mm -hmm. And certainly anytime we think about capabilities, whether it be with respect to data, whether it be with respect to any sort of job attributes, one way to come at that is selection, to bring those resources into the company. Which is fine. That's certainly a strategy. And companies that are hiring can certainly make use of that strategy. For many companies, though, they might not have the resources, the financial resources to engage in a wholesale hiring process where they're trying to bring bring mm-hmm. people up to speed. And so that then might lead to more training interventions and targeted training and learning opportunities to get current employees the skills that are necessary to facilitate a strong data culture. So like with any sort of process where we're trying to ensure we have the right people, we can either bring them in or we can work with the people that are here or at the organization to try to get them the skills that we think they need and that will help them both within their current jobs and also prepare them for jobs as they move forward. So one of the things I just want to side note is a really interesting trend with respect to data analytics. And so there was this trend to have data scientists or folks in the analytics space to be the talent in the organization and that they are actually tasked with running these analyses, interpreting it, you know, reporting the outcome, making the presentations. But now what you see is that you see more of a horizontal view to data analytics across the organization. It's not just a data scientist that needs to know how to actually run these reports and interpret them, but there's also other positions in the organization that also needs to have some of these capabilities. And that just connects back to this training module idea that it's not necessarily you have to hire a data scientist in your organization, but that there will be training opportunities with respect to other positions within your organization that could really benefit from some of the analytic training, not necessarily maybe how to do it, but how to use it when they're making decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's like any any job. We need to know what is it that we expect of people and need of people. And the way we do that is to do a job analysis and to really understand what's required there. And I think what's so important, and, and you touched on this, what's so important about the data piece here is that if we only go for people who are quote unquote data scientists that don't really have, and we're in the people analytics space, obviously, they don't really have an understanding of HR if they're not really trained in psychology, management, any of those sort of associated fields, they may have the skills to, forgive me for saying it this way, push the buttons to make the computer work, to get the analysis to run, 
but they don't really have the understanding of what those data mean. Yeah. Conversely, you mm -hmm. might have people that are well-trained in HR or associated fields, but don't really have the data training. So they understand what it is we're trying to get at as a company, but they might not have the tools necessary to actually run the analysis. And so what we're really talking about here is almost like a hybrid, right? Of someone who has the HR knowledge, but also the data analytic experience. And that I think like anything else comes down to what organization resources do you have that you can commit to this? And do you have a team of HR people and a team of data people that then work together? Or to your point, do you hire people that are sort of these utility players and have a little bit of both that can mm -hmm. do it? But that really speaks to the particular company, the particular needs. But regardless of how we think about it, one way is to bring people in. One way is to train the people we have. But we need to understand exactly what it is that we're looking for there. Yeah. So different solutions for different organizations, yeah. of course, and mm -hmm. the size of the organization and what industry they're in. But I think you boiled it down to two really important things, either hire or train, and there's going to be somewhere in between, depending on the organization. Now, the second one, if we stick within the human resource area, it's also the process. Will we actually do it? And so as an organization, one of the things that you might be asking yourself, again, if we're going back to how are we measuring up on this particular component, are we high or are we low? even though we know it's a continuum, but if we just think about these broad strokes, you know, one question that you might ask yourself is, does your organization have the right policies and procedures to facilitate the data analytic process? And so these are things, again, ranging from data collection, the management, analysis, reporting, interpretation. And when we think about the policies and procedures, another thing that we can think about with respect to this component is thinking about are you rewarding employees who are appropriately using data to make sound decisions or to make data-driven decisions? And so do you have at a high level in the organization to reinforce this kind of behavior? And so if we ask, or if you're asking yourself this question and you, know, you might be thinking, no, we don't necessarily have these policies and procedures in place. What are some things that an organization can think about doing to maybe get back on track? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, before I speak to that, let's take a story that I think we both, we were both in the room when we heard this. And I'm going to tell one story, but it's actually happened a couple different times in a couple different ways. So imagine, and I'll make this as hypothetical as I can, <laughs> imagine that you are hired as a data analyst, right? You're working in the HR department of an organization and you were hired as a data analyst. And you're now sitting in a room after having run you know, some some numbers through uh, various scenarios to speak to. Here's, here's, a, here's an important decision we're making. For lack of a better way of saying it, what do the numbers tell us to do? And you've just done your due diligence and done a lot of work so that you feel like you have an answer to that question and a recommendation. And that gets put on the table. You spend five or 10 minutes, however long it takes you to describe what you've done and why you think it's the right thing. Only to have someone else in the room say something to the effect of, well, I've been here for 25 years and we've never done it that way. I think the best way to do it is a different way. Your boss, who is now in a position to support you as a data analyst and support the data culture that is, you're trying to create, goes with what that other person recommended. That's an undercutting of epic proportions. And that's a way to destroy data culture before it ever gets off the ground. So when we think about these processes, that's really at the heart of it. When you talked about rewards, mm -hmm. we're not necessarily talking about financial rewards. We're talking about supporting 
the decisions that are going back to what we said before that are being made using data. Those decisions may not always be perfect, but if those decisions never see the light of day, those recommendations never see the light of day because, quote unquote, we do things a certain way, creating a data culture is going to be almost impossible. And so I think those are the kinds of little things. They see, they don't seem massive because, again, it's not pay. We're not talking about how much somebody's getting paid. We're not talking about somebody getting overworked in their job or anything like that. It's that you've done your job and you're effectively told, sorry, we're going with someone who's using something other than data mm-hmm. to make the decision. Yeah. So I think that's really what we're talking about there. And it goes back to what we said. It's like, there, I mean, certainly reward is, matters. If you're underpaying people to do your data analyses, especially now when we have, I never remember the term, what is it, the great resignation or the great migration or whatever it is. It's right? resignation, the great res- thing, thing. not migration. <laughs> the great resignation, sorry. Yeah, I mean, we have this going on. People will leave. If you're not treating them well, they'll leave. This isn't quite that, but you are undercutting. You're undercutting your own message by saying you care about data because when it's put on the table, it's dismissed. Yeah, so that's a really good example of how are we using data during our decision-making process and it getting undermined with this example. And so we've encountered several of those stories. We've been part of some of those stories too. And that's really more at a higher level, but we can also think at a lower level too and just thinking about how are we using data sort of an everyday work environment. And there are processes in place. And if you follow a process, it just becomes part of the data culture. And it's it's really closely following the scientific process. And we're not going to get into too much detail about that, but it is following asking the right questions and making sure you have the right data. And there is a process to follow that does help guide some of these data-driven decisions. And so those are the kinds of things that we're talking about when we're mentioning human resource process as one of the components for data culture. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good thing we have a podcast. We could talk about that at some point, And I think we should, (laughs) what we think that process might look like. But yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're really saying is, you know, if you have a data oriented mindset, it means, again, that you you kind of know what you're looking for. You know what questions you're interested in before you start looking at the data. You have confidence in the data you've collected. You run the appropriate analysis and you draw the appropriate interpretations and that cycle repeats itself in every decision you make. And I think that's what you're saying. And I yeah. think anything that facilitates that is going to mean an organization is going to score higher in this sort of quadrant because it goes back to why do people do things? because they get reinforced for doing them. Financially, pat on the back, seeing that their recommendations are taken seriously because they're doing things the way that the organization wants them done. So yeah, that's where we would see organizations moving up in that dimension or in that component. And then if we now go more into the tech side, we can also think about the tech processes. And so again, this really, you know, if you're thinking about this, you're trying to figure out, you know, where do I score on this sort of high, low? Some of the questions that you could ask yourself with respect to this one component is something like, does your organization have solid and repeatable, replicable, that's really key word right there, procedures for data collection, storage, processing, and management. Some of the other things that we tend to ask organizations in this component are things like, do you have appropriate data security and privacy policies in place? that we've seen an increase and uptick in organizations being mindful about their data security and how they're using data, especially with respect to people and employees and their own talent. 
I think there's a lot of concern about storing data appropriately. And so those are some of the questions and topics and things you can think about with respect to your own organization when we think about the tech processes. And so if you don't have these in place, Ron, what are some of the things that an organization could focus on? Well, I mean, I think you've you've sort of said it already. I, I think from our perspective, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think from our perspective, we tend to see the world more on the human resource side, given mm-hmm. our own backgrounds and the kind of work yeah. that we do. And so when we move over into that tech space, I think we would defer in many cases to, especially on the capabilities side, right? Do you have the right capabilities on the tech side, the right software, the right hardware, the right systems, right? Those sorts of things. You know, there are certainly plenty of well-respected firms that can help develop those or, or you know, for mm-hmm. which organizations can buy the right services to have the capabilities that they need. I think on the process side, that does interface, though, as you said, it's privacy policies, it's data management policies, retention mm-hmm. policies, things along those lines. And again, I think it speaks to the communication of data matters to us. And in companies where data matters, people have confidence in the way the data are maintained and stored and and how it's going to be used. For companies that don't, there's a lot more suspicion and cynicism about it. And and so I think a lot of the processes on the tech side, how we use our data, really are driven by, again, that sort of cultural view of the cultural perspective of this is how we see data in our organization. Mm -hmm. It matters to us. We take it seriously. And so once again, it's that, it's that communication. You can have the greatest systems in the world, and if none of them are password protected, you're probably in some trouble. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I think it's, it's just like on the human resource side, we can have great hardware and software, but if we're not using it the right way, we run into all sorts of problems. So I think that's the way I would sort of see it is that you have these, this sort of parallel world, what's going on in the HR side, what's going on on the tech side, the tech side, to be honest, I think is an easier solve. I think we know how to buy the right software and the right hardware and all those sorts of things. And we, we have laws actually that govern the use of data in many mm-hmm. respects. Yeah, It's that HR side where I think we see the largest opportunities for companies to really significantly impact their data culture. Again, not to say that tech doesn't matter. It certainly does. But I think from our perspective, it's that HR side that we really want to put a lot of emphasis and focus. Yeah. And one of the things I did want to highlight and what you just said is that we tend to see the tech and the human side in parallel, that those two are developing in parallel. But one of the things that we don't necessarily have in the data culture is really the integration between the human resource side and the tech side. And, you know, one of the things that we've tried to work on is actually connecting those two sides because they they can't work in isolation. You can't have the tech side developed without any insider input from the HR side, from the talent side of folks who are actually going to be using the data. And we've come across some situations in which they might have been, or it seems like they have been developed without any input from one another, from the different teams. Because a lot of times they are different teams. So if we're talking about HR, HR is probably going to have the tech side with their tech team, not necessarily within HR. That's not really going to be developed in HR. And so you have different areas within the organization helping each other out to really try and achieve the data culture. But I think what they haven't realized is that they really need to work together to make sure that they can ultimately use the data the way that they need to use it. And so I think that's really important 
component or piece to add, because even though we have these four components, they really do need to be integrated and they need to work together in order to achieve a really robust data culture. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, let me, I don't know if end is the right word, but let me share the way I sort of think about this. And I apologize for the, for the example, but it's personally relevant to me. So you'll just have to deal with it for right now. <laughs> I mean, I was sort of thinking, you know, for many years I played golf. And I was okay. I was not great. And okay is probably an overstatement in mo- for most people. But the way I would sort you have of think, a score? Uh, I'm <laughs> sorry, I can't hear you. So <laughs> I think the way I would sort of see it is as a golfer, I had certain capabilities. Now, selection doesn't make a lot of sense there, but I could train. I could try to get better, right? I could, mm-hmm. I could practice and things like that. But there, from a process standpoint, I know I knew enough to know that there are certain things you should do on the golf course to improve the chances that you're going to play better. There are just certain things you would do. I would see that as comparable to the HR capabilities and HR processes. The tech side of it, I would say, are the clubs. I played with lots of people who spent enormous amounts of money on the latest golf clubs that you could buy. That would be analogous to having the highest level of software and hardware available. Those people were not very good. So the point being, you can have the greatest tools and technology available. But if you don't have the people to do it and you're not reinforcing them to do it the right way, it's worthless, effectively worthless. Similarly, you can have fantastic people, but if you don't give them the tools to do it, they're, they're going to be sort of constrained to some degree. And it's the same sort of thing. That's really all we're talking about. We're talking about thinking about data culture from that standpoint of do you have the ability to do it, human and technology, And if you put systems in place to allow for those things to actually be used the way you intend. And I think if we think about it in those terms, it can be our definition. It can be any other definition that you might find on the Internet, any other belief of what data culture is. That's really what we're talking about. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about data culture, the way we view it. We have four components in which we assess organizations. And I think that gets down to how do we measure data culture? If it's out there, we should be able to measure it. That's sort of our motto. But how do we measure it? How does an organization know where they're at with respect to their data culture? Well, once again, I would say, depending on how you view data culture, you might measure it differently. You know, obviously, our measure is designed to be very short and sweet. There are four items for each of those dimensions. And we can assess from a self-report perspective from people within the organization saying, this is where we think we are with respect to these questions. We can provide a score on each of those dimensions and then generate a profile, which would sort of say doing well here, could do better here. But again, it's an opportunity to use data to drive some decisions in this space to say, as an organization, we have a finite amount of resources we can devote to improving our data mm-hmm. culture. Where should we put those resources? Do we have the people? Do we have the tools? Mm-hmm. Where are those opportunities? And I think from the standpoint of what people could take away from this, from what we're talking about today. At a very fundamental level, if you've never been exposed to this before, this is sort of a first time thinking about data culture, I think my advice would be, don't just listen to us. Go Google data culture, see what you find, see what people are saying. I'm fairly confident that what you're going to find is that people spinning around the same sort of idea. But I think at that very first level, just Get a little bit more knowledge about Mm -hmm. what data culture is and what it might mean to you and your organization. Have people talked about it. Are other people in your organization talking about it? And just sort of develop that initial foundation. I think if you're past that point and you're more at an intermediate step, maybe, or a middle mid-range step, take our data culture measure. 
take it for yourself and just it's designed to be done as you as an informant to the organization to just say, here's where I think we are and see what that profile looks like to just get a feel of, is this consistent with the way I'm sort of seeing things? And that then gives you some ability to say, this is, this is how I see us maybe moving forward. If you're way past that and you're full on into, we want to change our data culture, then what I would say is now use our scale and administer to, a, to many people in your organization across different units, across different departments, functional areas, whatever it might be, collect information from lots of different people and see if you're seeing consistency. If not, where is the inconsistency? You now have something that you can put a stake in the ground and say, here's where we are. As you now start to engage in interventions to improve, you can come back to that in six months or eight months or a year and see if you've moved the needle in the areas in which you intend. So once again, I think, you know, one of the things we always want to try to give people is where are you in your own data analytic journey and how can you start to apply some of these concepts? And I think if you're early on, just find a little bit more about what data culture means to you sort of in that abstract way. Next level, take the survey yourself and see if it's consistent with where you think you should be. At that highest level, I'd say exploit that survey and see, is there consistency in the company or are there places where the culture is stronger or weaker than others? Yeah, so in order to take that survey, we'll put that in the notes so that you can go to our website, you can take the survey. If you do want to actually give the survey across the entire organization, just contact us and we'll set up a special link for your organization so that you can do that. But if you're more at the intermediate level, you just want to try it out, feel free to go to our website and we'll send you back your results after a day or two. And so I think those are really good key steps. If you're trying to figure out where should I start or you know, I'm fully in with data culture, what should I do next? And I think measuring it, getting some sort of baseline in terms of where your organization is at is really important for moving forward and trying to figure out where are those next steps. We covered a lot of ground today, Ron. Yeah. I think we I think I think we, we talked about a lot. Now I'm rethinking where I'm gonna to go to my grocery shopping from now on, but I hope I hope most of what we talked about today was useful. Okay, so we'll leave it at that with data culture. You know, today we covered what it is, why it's important, how to measure it, and what you can do for your organization in terms of the data culture framework. Thanks for joining us this week on People Analytics Deconstructed. Check out the show notes where you can get more information about the show, resources we mention, or learn more about us. You can also visit our website www.melanchicago that's m-i-l-l-a-n chicago.com where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode if you like what you heard in this episode please recommend us to your colleagues and friends we would love to have our people analytics family grow if you want to talk more about how you can get the most out of your data related to people contact us directly by sending an email to info at melanchicago.com We would also love to hear about topics that are of most importance to you and that you would like for us to address in future episodes. Be sure to join us again next week. And as always, wishing you the best success in having your data help you make the best possible decisions.